Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Young Me Mayor. And I am Brian Park. We're going to do our Patreon shout outs and then we're going to introduce our guest. <laughs> I love how we self-narrate ourselves and we're on like episode 86 at this point. <laughs> we are going to, and then we are going to interview our guest after the Patreon shout outs. What if I started talking to myself like in the third person? Young me mayor is going to. <laughs> is that what, what do, what is that? Do people do that? I used to do that a lot in high school when I would be feel anxious or nervous and couldn't take accountability for something that I did wrong, I'd be yeah? like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just think to myself, like, Brian, why did you do this? Brian, why did you... And people are like, you're a weirdo. Why are you talking to yourself, <laughs> referring yourself in the third person? And wait, Brian, when you talk about yourself in your head, you call yourself Brian? <laughs> I don't know if Brian. I want to... I don't... I'm, I'm not really in the mood to unearth this... <laughs> Let's go to the Patreon shoutouts. Let's give our listeners okay. what they want to hear, young me. Uh, if you if you like the podcast and you're listening, and if you haven't done so already, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash feelingasian. Young me and I offer different subscription levels with different exclusive benefits, but any donation amount gets you a shout-out on the podcast where we use young me's psychic abilities and my general judgmental being <laughs> <laughs> to guess who you are based on your name alone. And we're on a hot streak. We got a hot hand right now because we're getting a lot yeah. of DMs saying that our guesses are fairly accurate. So let's keep it going. And are you ready for our first shout out, young me? I was born ready. <laughs> born ready. Our first shout out goes to Katya Ekimoto. Wow, we got some uh, we got some um, different ethnicities going on in that name. Just Katya being Kimoto? extremely that sounds yeah, just very Japanese by. to me. Oh, I thought it was like Katya. Like, isn't that like an Eastern European name? Yeah, it kind of sounds. Or maybe that's like just a Japanese name. Katya Katya Ekimoto. How's it spelled? K a t i a. K a t y a. Yeah, that's what I thought. Half Russian, mm. half Japanese, biracial, sexy. Yeah. Very, but you don't have to be Russian to have that first name. So, I, but I am seeing very sexy. <laughs> I'm seeing model vibes. Um, I was about to say like James Bond, and then I realized that's offensive because isn't that just yeah, a common like trope? Like villain. sexy Russian spy. spy. <laughs> That like, I feel like I never, I don't remember any of those movies, but I feel like he would like have sex with the Russian spy and then kill her. Like that was a big thing. Am I making that up? I don't think so. She, or yeah, or they end no. up betraying their villain, but then end up getting like killed in the crossfire. Like he wouldn't kill her, but she would have to die. It's like that like old she would Hollywood. Have to die, like, yeah. I'm going to guess that Katya Ekimoto is, she's a public health expert. Okay. That's my guess. She's a Hot public health and expert. Smart. Yeah. Hot, smart, crucial to the vaccine rollout in Minnesota. I believe that. <laughs> also, I feel like she has a secret TikTok that she hasn't told anybody about where she makes those really pretty like desserts, you know? She has like a million followers, but she doesn't tell anybody. Yeah, she's she does it all. <laughs> Thank you for your donation, Katya. Let us know if we're 
in the ballpark. Our second shout out goes out to Holly Bunn. Holly is such <laughs> Holly is such a sweet like wait, if if your name is Holly, is that short for something? No, that's just your name, right? I think it's just what would it be short for, young me? I don't know. Holiday. Holla, holiday. <laughs> Holland. I have well, no idea. <laughs> Holly, well, because if it was short for something, that's like a choice. It's like a nickname. But if that's your Holly, is like such a cheerful name. But I yeah. feel I feel like it's like a heavy burden to bear. Because like, <laughs> what if she's just? <laughs> I feel like she's just like chaotic and likes like living life. But then her name is Holly, so everyone expects Got her it. to be like a sweet grandma. You're right. Because <laughs> of that name, cookies. yeah. Because of that name, I kind of got a Southern California vibe, probably because it's so sunny. But yeah, yeah. it's a it's a heavy cross to bear. So in fact, Holly probably listens to Elliot Smith. Yeah. Uh very emo vibes. Has depression. To, has <laughs> has depression, but she's open about it and treats it in a healthy way. She goes to DIY punk concerts. Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm seeing too. In San Diego, California. <laughs> Hates the beach. <laughs> hates the beach. Why does she still live there? We don't know. <laughs> She's goth. I think that's. I think we're picking up on the right uh, energy for Holly. Yeah, Holly. Who's our last beach shout out? Go- beach goth. Uh, last beach. shout out goes out to <laughs> Samantha Skinner. Samantha Skinner. Samantha. I feel like there's like a famous uh, principal character, na- like a From school principal named Skinner. From the Is Simpsons. It the Simpsons. Yeah. So now I, I'm just seeing like a school principal. Really? Samantha Skinner? That's what I'm... Yeah, but that just might be because of the name. Mm, we're getting different vibes here. I'm getting like vibe? kind of aloof gallery girl. Mm. <laughs> like definitely very cool. She's a... Yeah. But she's much nicer than you would expect. And that's her cross I'm to that's her cross to bear is that she's so cool in an unintentional way that it intimidates people. People like Anna Winter, like people said that Anna Winter is actually just really shy. Yeah, but people read it as her being a bitch. That's yeah. You know what? I'm kind yep. of picking up on that too. Art person yeah. that's really nice but shy. Yep, she's just standing there she's... at the blue chip gallery, and people are like, "Fuck, this girl hates me." Samantha Skinner is here. I, I don't even know what any of this art is. I just want to use a bathroom, but I'm too afraid to ask. <laughs> She's so cool. I hope she likes me. But in fact, Samantha me- Skinner, Samantha Skinner has a TikTok and she is very open about the wonderful, beautiful pastries that she makes. <laughs> Everyone has a pastry TikTok today. <laughs> Everyone has a pastry TikTok and we have a beach goth. <laughs> and one Gr- beach goth. Great posse. Good group. Good group. Good group. <laughs> Anyways, thank you all for donating to our Patreon. Once again, for those of you who are interested, you could, you know, join the cause, support the pod at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. I was going to say we started doing this happy hour thing. If you donate to a certain tier... Yeah. We do Zoom happy hours and we just did our first one and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, but then we're going to start doing them live, which is news to Brian. He's like, oh, we are. <laughs> um, so if you have, so if you're, you know, wanting to hang out with us, that's, 
that you can. Okay. I just want to say that. If you really don't want to hang out with us, then you can stop donating. You don't have to. We're not going to make you. <laughs> um, cool. So I think we're ready to introduce our guest, Youngmi. I'm so excited. Listeners, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest this week. She is the co-host of NPR Invisibilia podcast. Please give your ears to Yoei Shaw. Hi. Hey. Thank you for Woo. having me. Woo. Oh my God. I'm, yeah, I'm so in, what's that? In awe? In awe. No. Presence of greatness. No. We are in the presence of greatness. I just want to say up top (laughs) that you are the host of an incredible NPR podcast. And I feel like you being a guest on our podcast, you ever hear those like stories that get circulated on ESPN or on Instagram where it'll be like, LeBron James decided to walk to a park and played some pickup <laughs> basketball <laughs> with some random people. And I'm like, this is literally what's happening on this podcast right now. <laughs> that is ridiculous and a total exaggeration not to be super Asian and like devolve into a compliment spiral. But like, I got to say, no, no, no. Like the honor is all mine. I... I'm such a fangirl of you all and this podcast, Aww. and I just want to thank you all. I just feel like if this podcast existed when I was like a little teenager or in my 20s, like I might have turned out a little differently or like at least saved mm. myself from some pain. And then mm. my other um, little compliment is just like, uh, your podcast totally gave me street cred with a new Asian in my life. And I was like, have you heard about feeling Asian? And then he was like, no, so cool. And I think it got me points. So thank you. Wow. wow. Wait, I don't know if you're single. I was going to be like, did it get you laid? But I don't think you're single. So it's probably not appropriate. <laughs> well, this is especially not appropriate because it's a coworker. But. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I take that back. <laughs> Yahweh, thank you so much for your kind words. And uh, before we ask you how you feel, young me, how are you feeling? Uh, You know, I was talking to Brian Yahweh before you jumped on the call about this. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this. But then, you know, I love being angry. I can't help it. (laughs) I love it. It gives me so much joy. (laughs) And especially if I'm like rightfully angry. Um, I did this Instagram live and this person jumped on and said, started being like, your husband is an, is an issue with Chinatown because he's a gentrified. My husband, if, if you're not aware is uh, my ex-husband, this person called him my husband, but this is my ex-husband. Um, he owns a, we both, you know, partially own this restaurant called Mission Chinese Food, but my husband's a public facing person of that business. Like I, while I was married to him, I didn't really do much work. I raised our child, so I wasn't really there, but I have been like working there on and off for the last 10 years of my life. And I am a partner, which at this point means that I'm just in a lot of debt because of COVID, but whatever. That's true. I'm a partner. So this guy like jumped on the live and he was like, your husband is a gentrifier of Chinatown and I don't, and he, we need to discuss him or something. And I was like, okay, it was like an Instagram live for another, another group that, that had me on as a guest to discuss being an Asian 
parent and how mm. we're parenting our children as Asian immigrants versus so completely our completely unrelated. Yeah. So I so I just like wrote in the chat. I was like, uh, why are you here about my ex-husband? Like you should talk to him about this. Like that's kind of sexist to hold me accountable, even though I know I'm a partner, but his words were your ex. I have a problem with your, your husband, which he called mm. and he needs to be accountable or something like that. I was like, okay, talk to him about it. Why are you here right now? So then yeah. he stopped talking. And then after the live, I was like angry. So I just DM'd him and I was like, yo, this is really fucked up. Like you came to a random event that had nothing to do with my business, but you know, whatever. And then you called me, my my ex-husband's wife you didn't even talk about me and like you were like i need you to be held accountable for your husband and i was like what are you talking about like why right. is this the place for you to say this and then he responded and said no no because you are a partner so you are responsible and i was like yes but you didn't call me a partner you called me somebody's wife and you kept talking about him so I was like, if you did have an issue with me and the my like ownership of a business, you've never emailed me. You've never like contacted me if if your issue was with me or the restaurant. You've never contacted my ex-husband or the restaurant. Why why did you choose to do that right then and right there? And I said, it's because you are a fucking Asian man that hates Asian women and that's misogynistic and you saw opportunity to humiliate an Asian woman. And that's what I said. I was like, I'm sorry, that's that's all it is. That's how I see it and it's true cuz like if if you actually cared about the issues you're pretending to care about, you wouldn't have done that right there. You you would have done things so differently. Mm. And so then I said at the bottom I was like I just asked like a hypothetical thing. I was like, if you really had an issue with me, like, sure, you can talk to me, but that's not, that's not what this is about at all. And then I blocked him and then he created a finsta and was like, why did you block me after asking me how I feel about you? And I was like, because I already know how you feel about me. Like you are a fucking sexist. You're oh, hiding behind this wall of like, I care about gentrification in Chinatown, but actually you don't. Cause if you did, there's so many things you would have done, not attack me in a random panel that I was on talking about parenting. Like none of your actions align with your words and you can't gaslight me into believing your bullshit. Do you know what I mean? And so then he made another Finsta and then I blocked that and then he went away. But I just wanted to talk about how scary, you know, and like I've talked about this before. I get so much vitriol from specifically Asian men and I don't want to make it sound like oh, Asian men because I get so much, so much loving support from Asian men, too. And, you know, like there's so many friends that I've made online that are Asian men or identify as men. And I really just feel so much support and love from that community. But then there's also, you know, like there's like these little pockets of like weird Internet people. This is the specific kind of person that I really dislike because the dangerous part about that person is they truly believe that they're doing something good or virtuous. You know, he's like, no, I care about gentrification of Chinatown. And I was like. No, dude, like you really have to stop and think why to you that means humiliating an Asian woman on a public platform. How does how is that action representing how you really feel like you have to stop and really ask yourself these things. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you do care about the gentrification of Chinatown, but there is a, a lot of other stuff going on that you have to address, you know? It's just, you know, it's that that's how I'm feeling. I'm, I'm feeling a little angry. Honestly, I like forgot about it after it happened, but then I was telling Brian and then it got kicked back up again. But 
I was talking <laughs> to Brian, better. an Asian man, <laughs> and it triggered my <laughs> anger. <laughs> I was like, oh, I remembered. <laughs> Uh, that's how I'm feeling. How are you feeling, Brian? Oh, gosh. Well, <laughs> fuck. I'm sorry you had to go through that, young me. That sounds really frustrating and really shitty. It kind of reminds me of, um, yeah, you know, like those MR men's rights Asians that get upset at Asian women for... I told them that, too. Yeah. It reminds me of that. Um, and like, to your point, it, okay, you can have these certain points, but then... If you look deeper, there's other shit that you probably need to self-examine too and how that's being displaced yeah. onto other And he's people. never contacted my ex-husband. I was like, have you ever emailed him and asked him? Like, why do you go directly for the Asian woman involved? Yeah. You know, it's like the MR Asians that go like attack the Asian women for dating white guys. Mm-hmm. Have you considered maybe talking to the white men? No, because like you're scared of them. Fuck off, okay. seriously. Okay, that's it, sorry. Um, How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, so I would say this past week has been an interesting one for me in that, uh, I, I don't know, it's been like unusually introspective more so than other weeks. You ever notice like people might point out things to you that you weren't aware of, but if you if it's like, two or three different people, then you're like, oh shit, I didn't know it. this is a thing that I did or this is like a quirk I had. And that happened to me this week where two different people pointed out how I say that I should do things a lot. Like I will say that I want to do this, but then I will follow that up with, but I should do that. And they're like, you do that a lot where you kind of like curb yourself and then almost as a means to kind of like mitigate your desires or your feelings for a certain thing and then offer like this is the sh- the pragmatic I should do this mm. this would I should do this cuz it's a good business decision so another person said oh I would not have expected that from you because you you seem so like buttoned up all the time and I'm realizing that that kind of sent me in a very introspective mood in that maybe the one, it's like, I didn't expect that from you. There's like a disjunction mm-hmm. from the way I feel like my internal desires and then what I'm projecting out to other people. And I'm starting to feel like that gap is becoming larger. And I've gone to therapy and uh, talked about it a lot on this podcast where I'm trying to do that less, like act less in accordance to some like weird ideal. And that's like the should voice in my head. Like Mm, I should do mm -hmm. this because that overrides whatever my desires are, you know? And I think my uh, conclusion is this summer, I really want to, I don't know, make maybe more like spontaneous. My anxiety is kind of spiked up in this last month. The should voices have spiked up and, um, now that I've recognized it, I, I, I kind of want to do that less and be more spontaneous and try to stop controlling every facet of my life of mm. like, so yeah. it's comfortable, you know? Because that goes in line with people being like, you're always so like buttoned up and mm. put together all the time. It's like, even though I don't feel that way, that's a manifestation of me trying to like, well, this is like the time that I'm going to have this meeting. And no, I can't text this girl. Like it's been too long. Like too, uh, that would be too soon. Like I'm going to text them at this out. You know what I mean? 
It's too mm-hmm. much. It's exhausting. Is it like, I kind of hear like, are you just questioning every, every like decision that you're making? You're like over questioning yourself. Yeah. That's happening a lot. Mm. Yeah. Like everything. I think it stems from a fear of like making mistakes and yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot though. Does it sort of like freeze you up? I wouldn't say it freezes me up because I still get Mm. my work done, but it's just extremely taxing and laborious Mm. Mm because I have to like fact check and get feedback on Mm. something as simple as like texting a girl, you know, even if I feel like it, but then it's like, is this weird? Do I... I know I want to, but now I'm like trying to find re it's, it's too much. It's crazy. Mm. I'm like, I have that too. I'm like disconnected. I feel particularly disconnected with my core desires right now. And I'm like operating from a space of an ideal. And I don't like that. Mm. So I'm trying to be more chaotic. This is gonna be a chaotic summer. Young me more spontaneity. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard to not judge yourself. I do that constantly. Every every little decision I make, I'm like, that was stupid and wrong. Like I'm just yeah. like it's so hard to just be like even when I even when I like go choose a lunch, I feel like I'm like, yeah. oh, I made a mistake and I, I feel like for me it's like decision paralysis and I think for me it kind of like stems from like having sort of like a hard childhood where I was like reprimanded for everything that I did and I think I had like sort of like undiagnosed ADHD and so everything I did was like seen as wrong and like so there was like a fear of that so (laughs) I totally feel you Oh, I just was going to say, well, first, I think it's like awesome that you're going to have a chaotic, spontaneous summer. It'll be like, you know, there's like hot girl summer. It's like Brian Park summer, you know, like you're just going to be out there. Korean boy summer. Doing what you want to do. I'm going to put French fries in my hamburger (laughs) instead of eating them separately. That's that's too far, Brian. Too far. Um, But I also just feel like, I mean, it used to be written on my whiteboard, this thing that my friend told me, there are no rules. Um, Mm. And I was talking to her about like relationship stuff and and she said it in response to that, but it felt like, you know, obviously relevant for all areas of life. Hard as I try not to make mistakes, I am constantly making mistakes, constantly. So it's like... I mean, I'm not going to purposely try to make mistakes, but I'm like, I have to like, I sort, I think I let, I like let that control go a long time ago. Mm. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, yo, wait, how are you feeling? Yeah. Um, well, before I answer that question, I wanted, I, w- I didn't know that I was allowed to chime in as like a regular listener. I I'm wasn't sorry. sure I was, I was able to chime in earlier. I wanted to go back to what you, what you said, young me about that, uh-huh. um, Asian guy like wanting to humiliate you in that way and just like I'm sorry that happened and you know I you know and like you said that it reminded you of like MR Asians like you know Mm -hmm. those that kind of internet person that like seeks opportunities specifically Mm. to humiliate Asian women and yeah. for not following a rule of like the good Asian woman. Um, yeah. And then and hiding behind this, I care about Asians fucking facade, yes, you know, co-opting like social justice language around yep. like, well, yep. if you cared about racial justice, then you would only ever date Asian men. Um, yeah. So I feel like the parallel, like, yeah, 
I would be curious to, to, to know how that person, where they fall on that spectrum, how that dude feels about like white male, Asian female couples. But anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah. I haven't like, you know, I'm new to being uh, a pub- more public facing person. So I haven't, mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to not have to deal with much like online hate yet. Um, mm-hmm. So um, in terms of how yeah. I'm feeling, uh, I am just out of podcast prison. <laughs> Because I just finished a a really big investigative three-part series for our new season. And so I've just basically been hunched over a computer for like every night and every weekend for the last several months. Um, And it just went out yesterday. So, so yeah, so I, you know how like when you're working on a big project and Mm -hmm. Uh you can't like let yourself feel feelings because you just have to execute. Mm. I feel like I had to suppress any feelings for the last several months because I would just end up having a panic attack about not getting the thing done. Um, And so now, now that I'm, I'm out of podcast prison, I uh, am having, I like, I know that the feelings are going to come in like big waves at like random moments. Mm -hmm. And I just had one of those moments the other night where I was like having a cocktail with some like dance music on, just like chilling. Like it was supposed to be like a date night, like a fun night. But I had, mm-hmm. but I ended up getting hit by a wave of just, just feeling like hit by a truck. And I had to like mm-hmm. sit down and lay down because I was so overwhelmed by just like feeling bad and just like mm. overcome with, like, I couldn't even name it. It was so intense. Like I didn't even know mm. what it, it was. Right. Um, I think looking back now, that feeling was something that I get while reporting every story I do. Whereas like, I always have mm. one big cry in a bathtub during the course of reporting <laughs> because um, you know, like when you're talking to all these different people and they tell you all these really personal intense stories you like carry those feelings with you and you're like Mm -hmm. trying to like translate them and like hold them and like honor them and and especially this story that I was doing there's so many different conflicting feelings um Uh and so I think I was like letting myself feel my source's feelings for the first time. Mm. That is so interesting. You were saying like, you know how you have to hold in your emotions. We, I think what we do is very different because I've never, I've never done like a story where it took a long time for it to come out. Like, you know, what we do on the podcast is just like, as soon as it's just this, this discussion. So I, I don't, I don't really know that feeling, but that makes so much sense that you have to like turn it off so you can get the job done and then now you like turned it back on and it's just like flowing out of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That so, sounds very intense. Yeah. So I don't know what other feelings I'm going to have, but, um, I guess besides that, I think I'm, I'm basically, I'm also just like so relieved and so excited to like party and like see my friends and family and like do fun things other than being hunched <laughs> over a computer and like making these calls to politicians and yeah. being like, did you pay for play? Can, yeah. Can I ask you a question really quick? Cause as a journalist and, um, you know, you do these like very emotionally taxing stories and you're like looking into these other people's lives. Do you think there's something about, I just thought of this, but do you think there's something that's like not to be stereotypical? Is there something like being an Asian woman? 
woman where you where you might be like sort of good at that. Is oh, that that's racist of me to say. That's so like putting interesting. Other, yeah. I mean, Whoa. like tamping down your emotions and like, you hmm. know, stuff like that. Oh, I, OK. I think for me, I've mainly experienced like my race, like how it is impact, like my race and gender, how it's impacted my reporting is mainly in mm. that sources don't find me threatening. People right. don't, people don't think I mean business and like people don't think I'm going to like come down hard on them. And so like, I think it might serve me as like an investigative reporter when I do investigative work, because like people will tell me crazy shit. <laughs> that, that, what you just said is exactly what the artist David Cho said on mm. Joe Rogan's podcast, where he said he hitchhiked through America when his when he was like 19. And he said, my status as an Asian man, the advantage I have is that people don't see me as threatening and I'm invisible in America. Hmm. So he was like, while I was hitchhiking, people would just reveal their deepest, darkest secrets to me because I, I could be trusted. They're like, you're not threatening. You're not going to do anything with this info. That's that makes so much sense. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Though I want to say, like, I do. I don't like. I'm not trying to like, like, have a gotcha with my sources, unless right. it's like you know, hardcore right. investigative reporting and it's like a person with power. So, I mean, I do think though there is the dark side to that superpower mm. or whatever is that people do trust me um, mm. with their stuff. And like, I have to be really careful about yeah. just like the ethics around, like just making sure I have consent from sources around what gets published and just like the ethics in journalism. Like I always have multiple freakouts over the process of reporting any story around ethics where I'm like, am I fucking up? Like, uh, am I doing the right thing? Like, am uh, I being unfair to this person? And I think if you're not having multiple freakouts, as a journalist, then you should probably look into that. <laughs> you know I feel like I mean? that just means that you're like a good journalist. Yeah. You were announced as one of the new co-hosts of Invisibilia um, with Kia, Miyaka, and Atis. And mm -hmm. uh, we read that they relaunched the pod with you two in hopes of attracting a more diverse listener base and to just essentially broaden the show's frame. Youngmi and I are wondering, like, what are your thoughts on this move? And how has the feedback been so far? Well, um, I feel great about it because it means we have jobs. <laughs> That's <a pretty> <laughs> answer. I'll um, take it. Thank you. I mean, <laughs> uh, thank you very much. <laughs> basically what happened was like a very chaotic kind of, public radio fairy tale is how I'm thinking mm. about it. Um, mm. Basically, like the real story is that the pandemic really affected the podcasting industry, like mm -hmm. every mm. other business, not every other business, but most businesses. And so our show's future was very uncertain last year. Mm -hmm. And then in the midst of that chaos and uncertainty, the former hosts, Elise and, Elise and Hannah, decided to move on. Mm. And so we thought, oh, okay. we thought it was over. Um, oh, no. and so, you know, just for, for a little bit, we thought it was over. And then there was this like underground movement to like save the show. And like, why don't, like, why couldn't you be host? Why couldn't, why couldn't he become host? Um, which I never in a million years, like I, I really never thought I was host material, to be honest. I never mm. thought that I would ever be a host. <laughs> 
like a podcast. Like I always think mm. of myself, I mainly think of myself as like a reporter and a producer, mm. not a host. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in a period of a few weeks, like we basically put together a pitch for the new show and pitched mm-hmm. our big boss and we really didn't think it was going to happen. And she she said she cried during the presentation mm-hmm. and said yes on the spot. And yeah, so here we are. And like one of the points, the bullet points in our PowerPoint presentation was around like trying to attract a more diverse listener base, uh, mm-hmm. which is something that we know NPR really cares about and has struggled with, honestly, historically. Mm. Um, yeah. Like I'm sure we all have like kind of. A stereotype in our head of a caricature of an NPR listener and Park oh, Slope. Sure do. Yeah. <laughs> I used to live in San Francisco, so yes, I do. Yes, yes. They yell at you at Rainbow Grocery. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So so we thought, you know, like we thought it would help our chances of saving the show, but also we thought like it would be good for our show and for NPR. Mm-hmm. Like we're public radio. Mm-hmm. We have a public mission to serve our listeners and it's not like we're not doing a good job. We're failing at our mission if we don't have a diverse listener base that reflects America. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I will say that we're not thinking about it in like a intentional way, you know, like, mm-hmm. yes, right. it's part of our, um, it was part of the presentation, but you know, just by the very fact that like, you know, I'm Asian, Key is black, like mm-hmm. we're leading the editorial direction of the show will make a difference in terms of like, we're just going to do stories that we're interested in that Mm. our friends and communities Mm -hmm. are interested in, like answer our questions. And now we don't have, you know, like we don't have a white boss that we have to convince, you know, and then we don't have to like translate like whatever issue the story was going to be about to them. Wow. I just want to say that obviously you and Kia are both so talented and I think, you know, there's no way that anyone listening to Invisibilia could argue this, but I know, because I know white people, that there are so many of them that are like, oh, great, you're going to get an Asian and a black person now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like the whole like, oh, you got it because you're Asian and like the whole affirmative action thing. Like, oh, you got it to Harvard because you're because you're black, you know, instead of being like, this is just a talented person. And I, I want to ask, like, have you do you think you've seen that at all? I mean, that's like my version of imposter syndrome, you know, is like, Mm -hmm. do I, am I here because like of my talent or because, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm Asian and I'm like a yellow brown face, like olive (laughs) face, you know, for you to put on this show. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, to be honest, I've been in a hole for the last several months working on this thing. So I haven't really been like seeking feedback or let like letting no. myself uh, go there. But I mean, that is the fear that I have is that people yeah. are side eyeing yeah. us and just like, well, mm-hmm. they don't really, they just like lucked in. Well, we definitely did luck yeah. into it, but like, you know, they, they, they just got it because they're not white. Um, right. yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm sure people think that like, let's be real. I'm sure some yeah, segment, sure. I don't know how large of our right. listener yeah. base thinks that, and we have gotten some encouraging emails, but we've also gotten mm-hmm. some emails who really don't like the change. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, which is, you know, nobody likes change. Racist. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 well, 
well, you're just racist then. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to make like yeah. an argument just for anybody that might have those thoughts. I don't know why they would be listening to this podcast, but if you do have those thoughts, I just want to say, I think like the way that people should look at it is that for so long in this country, the only people that were allowed to do stuff were white men. And I'm talking until like 2012. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, it's not that it's not we're taking something from you. It's we're taking stuff back that should have been given to us mm. for hundreds of years. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. that's, I think that's yeah. my like, little. And I, and I think in the context of the Invisibilia podcast, it, the, I, I think it's great. This, this shakeup and, it serves to highlight the importance of just having diverse perspectives on like at the higher level because mm. like the entire podcast is examining like the invisible forces that govern how the world works and we on a fundamental level we can understand like we talk about in this podcast like there's like psychology behind our actions and why we do the things that we do but um by having you and Kia hosting it, you can just you can sort of examine like the socio structural components that govern actions. Whereas if you had two white hosts, yeah, it will focus on the psychology. But if you are within a structure that already serves to benefit you, you're not going to examine it as closely or question it. Yeah, I think that is so. Well, I just I do want to say like have a moment of gratitude to like Elise and Hannah and like all of yeah. our good white bosses that we, we've had <laughs> because they, they really did mentor us them. and you right. know they gave yeah. us a lot of you know they gave us space they passed the mic to us and like that's yeah not everyone would do that um but I do think there is something around like like it's just that's what people of color like that's just normal like moving yeah. through the world you like we constantly see stuff that other mm-hmm. white people cannot see. And there's lots of stuff that I can't see and that we don't see. But yeah. I think we're more used to that process of like, like we're okay with, I feel like I'm okay with the fact that like, I accept the fact that I don't know a lot of stuff and that I have a mm. ton of blind yeah. spots and that, um, and I am grateful when people point them out to me. And I think that that is probably more common among people of color than white people. Um, yes. Right. Young me and I kind of, young me and I want to talk about one of our favorite invisibilia episodes. This is, oh yeah. Are, are you game? Of, yeah. Let's, let's do it. Our, I, and it's kind of along the lines of what we were talking about earlier. So you have a, so you have like an incredible, um, episode that you reported on and basically like the episode explored racial preferences and dating and whether these can be changed. And, uh, you know, young me and I feel this episode is especially relevant to this podcast because, Interracial dating comes up a lot and it's a topic that's quite contentious and we get a, often get a lot of polarizing responses in our DMs every time we touch on it. And um, for our listeners, can you briefly summarize the story and yeah. uh, like what was the response after it was released? Uh, so the story basically takes on this extremely controversial topic of racial preferences and dating and does two basic things. Um, it tries to unpack 
how racial preferences get created, specifically mm. uh, concerning Asian American folks, um, mm-hmm. from like policy, racism, popular culture, and our own sexual experiences. Um, yeah. And then the second part of the story looks at like, can you change them? Like once you, mm. once the culture has like left a, f- a fingerprint on your desire and your attraction patterns, like can you change right. those patterns? Um, and I tell the story through the lens of this one Asian American woman's ridiculous and absurd quest to try to change her own preferences after mm-hmm. she has this like big moment of epiphany, like in a horror movie where she's like, oh no, like I've only dated white guys. Like what is up with mm-hmm. that? Like I think of myself mm-hmm. as anti-racist. Um, and then yeah. she starts spiraling and then thus the quest uh, <laughs> ensues. Hey guys, Brian here. Just wanted to add this quick note. Uh, we all have a discussion about Yoway's fantastic NPR Invisibilia episode, which you should all listen to, titled A Very Offensive Rom-Com. I just wanted to retroactively provide a little bit more context for all of you. So Yoway's story centers on Elle, who notices that she instinctually swipes left on black men and Latinx men. And she realized that she had never had sex with a person of color. So she asked her group of friends and they all shared the same experience of never having had sex with the POC. And they conduct a half serious, half joking contest to see who would have sex with a POC first. So Elle embarks on this quest, as Yoe described, to decolonize her desire and sets these hard rules on not dating white men going forward in order to have sex with a POC. Essentially gamifying the dating experience. And back to the original recording. Well, first, can I ask, like, mm-hmm. how did you all react? Because I, I actually don't know how people responded, mm-hmm. like, other than just, yeah. like, a little bit of chatter on Twitter. And then, like, I do get yeah. some, like, emails from listeners who are grateful that I that I talked about it. And yeah. then other people who are, like, mad at me for talking about it. Um but yeah, I was going to say I was like cringe. I was it was so uncomfortable for me to listen to it. And I I have a lot of, you know, I talk about this all the time. I'm not the wokest. I, I you know, attempt to be as like I attempt to like fix the is- internalized like issues I have throughout my life. Um, and I, I think part of that is like recognizing my own racism, internalized racism and misogyny and homophobia and transphobia. Like every day I try to like work on that. Yeah. And so listening to that episode, I had these like old, like sort of, I think anti-Asian racist thoughts, like and feelings coming out that I had to correct and be like, oh, I can't, you know, like I shouldn't think that and blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I just want to be honest because intellectually, I don't believe this at all. But when I when I first started listening to the episode and I heard this woman that only dates white guys, I was like, ugh, which is crazy because I'm just being an MR Asian at this point. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing I'm doing the same thing. But obviously, I wouldn't ever say that out loud, except I did on a podcast. But, <laughs> but, but I don't truly intellectually believe that. But that's just an old feeling that I used, an old racist feeling that I used to have against Asian women that only date white guys that I'm working on and like naming. But Mm. I felt a lot of that listening to it. Mm. And then 
you know, the part where she was like, oh, and then I ended up just dating a lot of black guys. And I was like, oh, like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. Like, why is she saying this? So I don't know. It was just very uncomfortable for me to listen to, to be honest. How about you, Brian? It made me uncomfortable for a different reason because, yeah, this is hard to admit, but I saw a lot of myself in her like the, wow. the the protagonist, I guess, in um, this episode in that, yeah, it made me self-examine my dating history. Um, it's predominantly white. And it's like, okay, I can acknowledge that I date a lot of white women. And we, I kind of just want to stop there. But if you dig deeper, it's like, fuck, I'm going to have to uncover a lot of this uncomfortable like truths about myself and um yeah and i found like so many interesting interesting things about it where i've talked about it on this podcast where i rationalized it as you know there's like internalized racism like there's the desexualization of being an asian man and like just like putting this disproportionate amount of weight on white women and putting them on a pedestal to like prove my sexuality. You even introduced a neurological component to it where like our first sexual experiences shape us. And in a way, like as cringe as that woman was on the, like on your episode where she's taking like a very concerted effort, almost it's hard to verbalize, but like, it's a feeling thing where you're like, Oh, it feels weird that you're like gamifying dating and then treating all of these POC men as little tokens. Like strange enough, those are the measure. Like I felt like, okay, this is really cringe. But then if you can recognize these patterns about yourself and you want to change, then you have to do those cringe things to like yeah. quote unquote set yourself free. I don't know. That's like the work. That's like the work, right? <laughs> yeah. Like the, the un- maybe, maybe I'm uncomfortable. Cause like I have all these ideas that are similar too. And then I have to look at that and it's, yeah. ma- it makes me disgusted in myself. Mm. Yeah. And like as cringe as she was, I think it takes a lot of. She's free. Um, it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot, it takes a. It takes cringe, an she's free. <laughs> amount of courage to yeah. just say that because so yeah. many people won't admit to themselves. But I know for a fact no. that there are probably a larger swath of people than the care to admit that you impulsively will swipe left on people for mm. like for whatever reason, you know. We didn't ask to grow up in a structurally racist world, and like yeah. of course. Like the work to undo that stuff is going to be messy. Like, like that shit is so like complicated and ingrained and has like shaped us in all these confusing ways. Like, of course, the work to try to undo that stuff will be messy and cringe and and like ugly in some way. So this is work that white people should be doing and they are not. So... I just want to say that you go, you make fun of Asian women from dating white guys. How about why don't white women do break it down and see why they don't date anyone besides white guys, you know, like. But. Yeah, and young me, you've talked about it, like even in the context of dating, just like how white men view you has been weird and confusing it's and weird. harmful. Well, I, I had this weird little dating experiment too, where after I got divorced, uh, I got divorced like three years ago. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to date a white man. I, that's, that's, that's what I said, period. It doesn't matter. That's, that's it. That's the only rule. I think I would just say that to people and they're like, that's kind of fucked up. And I was like, 
Every time I've been on a date with a white man, three hours in, you say something fucking weird. So <laughs> how about you stop saying weird shit to me and then I will let you. <laughs> I'm going to say recently I've like relaxed that rule a little bit. So, <laughs> But uh, for, for a solid like two and a half years, I wasn't dating any white men. But, you know, yeah. That's so interesting that I'm so surprised that you got um, that people were like questioning you for that preference for just like making that boundary for yourself like that temporary boundary for yourself because it feels like it's the other way around usually and also like you know I feel like to get into the discussion of like are preferences like racist at all like Mm. I I don't think having a preference is inherently racist like if you have a legit reason like if you've had Mm -hmm. conflict with in your previous relationships or experiences with say white men and you're just like i don't want to like deal with that for like um forever or for right now like i think that's legit um i think the issue is when a preference is based in a stereotype Like, that's the problem. Like, I think everyone would benefit from probably investigating your patterns in your romantic trajectory and just, Mm. like, just see, like, are there patterns? And, like, are these patterns based in a bias or in a stereotype? Um, And then if they are, then, like, maybe try to do something about it or not. Um, But I think, I think what, what, is hard about this discussion is when, you know, we start talking about how our preferences get shaped by the culture and structural racism and this legacy of all these like racist policies. And then it's like, so therefore you must do X. And like that should, Mm. like it goes back to what you were saying, Brian, earlier about like the should. It's like, I think we should just take the should out. Like there should be Mm. no firm rules. Like... Mm. Love is a magical, mysterious thing that when you get it, like, we should, like, celebrate that fact that you're, yeah. you happen to find that with somebody. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, you know, there should be no firm rules. And also people should probably, like, investigate that stuff a little bit more. Like, I talked to this law professor at Berkeley, Russell Robinson, who kind of plays the role of, like, the moral center of the story for me. Mm. And, like, I feel like I, uh-huh. I learned a lot from him. And his take was basically, like, like he's been teaching about um, racial preferences for, like, years and years, like, thinking about it and writing about how uh, st- our, our romantic lives are are there are like these structural dimensions to, to preferences. Um, mm-hmm. And his point is just like, he thinks that like, there should be no shoulds. There should be no firm rules. We should like, it is good to like investigate because the individual preferences, like they add up and like in aggregate, they do harm people, you know, mm. like the fact that certain categories of folks uh, like black women and Asian men, you know, like might have a harder time of finding a partner. Mm. Like that's horrifying. Love and intimacy and like marriage and partnership or whatever. Like all of those things are incredibly important, you know? And like, I feel like one of the responses that I got to my story that I do not jive with is like people just dismissing preferences as like, 
an important area to like look into and investigate whatever is just like romance or like it's just it's like no 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 like romance matters like intimacy and love matter and if there Mm -hmm. are hierarchies and inequalities in people's choices we should try to do something about it too the question is how (laughs) um Mm. And to not be, like, to get into this, like, war of, like, you should do this. Like, if you you end up with this person, then you're, like, messed up. Like, I I totally reject, like, looking at who somebody, like, somebody's partner as some, like, proxy for their racial politics. Like... (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Like no, there's no I trophy, agree. like a woke trophy for like who you're like, no, no, no. Like that's, that's gross. I know that this is such a tricky issue. Like I don't judge anyone for dating white men. I think when I initially set that rule for myself was because like the dating apps, I started the dating apps and it was literally all white men. And I was like, this is weird. So then I was like, I'm going to just like start swiping on everyone else, you know, like kind of like what the, what Elle was doing, mm. which is me maybe me being creepy too. I don't know. (laughs) I'm weird. And so then my algorithm changed. Mm. And like, once I stopped swiping on white and then I was like, Oh, this is like interesting. Like now, you know, cause it's like, if you, it's like this, like, um, so like heteronormative dating behavior, right. For women, we're supposed to just sort of wait for somebody to approach us. If you're, you know, straight identifying or read us straight. And what ends up happening if you're an Asian woman is if you know, and you're heterosexual, the people that are coming to you are, it's just a lot of white men, you know? Mm. And so you have to sort of like, for me, that's, that's kind of why I did it. I was like, I have to like sort of make sure that I, I can like balance out this field. Or if I just sit here like a laying duck, it's, I'm just going to end up dating like 3000 white guys, you know? Mm. (laughs) Um, Mm. Which is, I don't know if that's like, have you experienced that just as like an Asian woman? Like, you know what I mean? I've been, we'll say like, I haven't dated for a really long time because I've been with somebody (laughs) for eight years now. Um, Mm -hmm. And like actually doing this story was, I kind of use radio as like, therapy <laughs> where like <laughs> to try to work out uh, issues or questions I'm having in my personal life. I usually I'll end up like doing a story about it. Um, so this is like born out of like, I'm like in this long-term relationship with a white man and like, I'm hearing all these conversations about romantic preferences being shaped by the culture. And I'm having my own like little realization, like looking back at my trajectory and I'm like, shit, Like, is that what was going Mm. on with me? And like, what can I do about it now that I'm like, at least for now in this like monogamous like relationship, (laughs) long-term relationship with a white man. And so then like, that's kind of like why I ended up doing the story. Um, Oh, wow. But, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, mainly like the stereotype of like Asian women being like hypersexual and like submissive or whatever impacted Mm -hmm. me mainly when I was younger, um, in high school and in college, when I felt like, like I dated, like I dated Asian people, I dated all kinds of people. Um, but like when I would date white guys, I would notice this pattern of like them not wanting to date me, like, especially in high school, Mm. because like Mm -hmm. they would hook up with me, but they wouldn't date me. 2021 Yo Way looks back at that. And I'm like, Oh, is that because of race? That pattern kind of continued into college a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so I Mm -hmm. think like I, I developed a little bit 
of a complex around Mm -hmm. feeling like I was just pretty, quote unquote. Like people only liked Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. for like the way I looked rather than, (laughs) you know, like my personality. And so I, I had, I, I would say I had like some pretty severe self-confidence issues around being like uninteresting or like not having, Mm. like not being smart or creative enough or whatever enough. And just like, people just want to like have sex with me, you know? And then Mm -hmm. I, to push against that, I, in my twenties had a campaign where for years I only wore glasses. I tried to basically Mm. like unsexify myself for years and I only wore glasses. And now I'm like, oh, yo, wait, like, why didn't you wear, like, all the crazy makeup and outfits when you're in your 20s? And now I'm, like, trying to make up for it now. Um, There's still time. There's still time. A long time. My mom is, like, You can do that until you're dead. There's no rule. There's no no rules. My mom (laughs) loves wearing crop tops, and she's in her 60s, and she rocks them. Nice. She sounds so hot. She's she's super hot. I I have a hot mom. Yeah, hot mom club. Um, yeah, there are no rules. I stopped rule, putting rules on my dating life. I just date whoever now, whoever I feel like. And yeah, in the spirit of no rules, it's going great. I love that. In the spirit of no rules, my hinges. I'm not going to say anything, Brian. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not saying anything either. <laughs> Oh man, it's so, it's like this topic is so interesting. Also, I'm going to be very honest with you. It makes me feel very yucky Mm. and I have to like ask myself why I feel so yucky. I feel like everything I've said on this episode is wrong Mm. and I feel like really paranoid (laughs) and I feel like everyone's going to be so angry at me and it makes me want to throw up, which means I think it's worth examining. Did you all know about the primacy of first experiences and just sort of like how our sexual experiences can like shape our preferences before you listened. Uh, You know, we've we did a dating episode where there was, we asked for listener submissions Mm -hmm. and somebody said that her first time having sex was when she studied abroad in China. Mm -hmm. And so after that, all her, she's white, all her boyfriends tended to, tended to be East Asian and we were both I remember talking about on the episode Brian and I were both like yeah that actually makes a lot of sense that doesn't seem really racist to me that was the only time I've ever heard Mm. of it when I started reporting that story and trying to like answer the question like can you change your preferences I searched far and wide for research and there's just like not surprisingly most sex research is pretty white so like there hasn't Mm. been much research done on that particular question um but my mind was blown when, like, yeah. I came across the rat studies and found myself reading a wow. lot about rat sex. <laughs> was like, this is weird. Yeah. You know, you, you're it's just like, why am I? Sex. I'm just, like, learning all about how rats get it on and feeling a little uncomfortable reading these research studies. It's um, so, <laughs> it's super interesting. I mean, I even... Even outside of race, like like your first sexual experiences or like feelings of arousal and how that manifests, and even ex- like even examining what my like weirder like kinkier interests might be, it has an impact on that. Like I even learned recently about just a thing called like a slime fetish, mm. and you can you can you can pinpoint that to Nickelodeon. And like really? the green slime, oh, yeah, like yes. people like that, like 
manifested wow. into a slime fetish for people. So <gasps> interesting. I'm like, so it's just sense. so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Cause I remember when that those shows are big when we were all kids. Right. And there was so something so satisfying about watching people getting slimed. <laughs> <laughs> Some people took it too far. <laughs> no, we're not going to kink shame. <laughs> oh yeah, no, we're not. <laughs> you do. You're, you're doing just fine. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I, I will say though, just like the rat sex studies and the primacy of first experiences, like there is like a huge caveat, which is like those studies are conducted with rats um, right. uh-huh. that are really different from humans, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's just like no ethical way to do studies with like sexually naive humans um, to like <laughs> figure out how that stuff works. Um, but like yeah. apparently like our brains work similarly in some ways around orgasms and like, and sex mm. stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I just found that research to be relevant and also, like, hopeful in this discussion mm. around racial preferences and, like, how the culture mm. has shaped you. If, you. if you're not happy with the way the culture has shaped you in any number of ways, not just race, but maybe around other things, um, you mm. know, yeah. like, you could do this story and, like, use a different lens like not just race what about like fat phobia or like Mm. like any number of like hierarchies of whatever you could you know you could apply this to um but I just think that like it's it's hopeful to know that like like even if your first sexual experiences might give you like might shape your attraction pattern in like a pretty strong way perhaps Mm -hmm. like attraction is totally iterative. Like you can add to your attraction pattern and, you know, you just have to like kind of expose yourself to different kinds of people and then like see what sparks fly. And then maybe Mm. you'll end up like with a new thing that you're into, which is, I think, liberating and kind of beautiful. I'm glad that you, um, did like, you know, did this research and put out this episode because, like we mentioned yes. before, there were parts of it that made us uncomfortable, but uh, effectually it it inspired like a lot of self examination and um, <sighs> for good reason. And I think like we all could use a little bit of that, especially in you know the realm of dating where it's it is such a universal experience. But yeah, for the sake of time, mm-hmm. Yoe, uh, before we let you go, we like to ask this last question to all of our guests, and that is, what is something that you're proud of? This question, I love that you ask all your guests this question because um, it's something I don't think about very mm. often. Um, I would say I'm proud that like I leaned into discomfort by saying yes mm. to being a host, even though I don't I didn't know that I would be good at it. And I still don't know if I am. Um, but I knew that it would like force me to work on things that I wanted to work on, even though it'd be really uncomfortable. So yeah, I'm, I'm just proud that I, I leaned into the discomfort rather than doing something else that would be easier. Yeah. I think it's so important for people of color and Asian people listening to this. When you are given the opportunity, 
you know, a lot of us don't think that we deserve it or whatever, you know, we have insecurities about that. And I think the discomfort of being like, yeah, I deserve this. I'm going to do it. That's like an important thing. Is that what you meant? Sorry, I, I didn't mean to take. No, no. Yeah, no. I okay. think. No, no, totally, totally. No, I mean. You're like, no, no. Well, no. What are Brian, you talking about? Brian, edit that out. Well, I, for me, the discomfort was more around like. Like I'm a really introverted person and I'm not like, like I had like all these ideas about myself (laughs) and like they don't line up with being a host. Well, Yoway, for our listeners, where can they find you in your work? Um, Yes, you can please, please subscribe to our show. um, Anywhere you get podcasts, Invisibilia, um, because we really, you know, it's an experiment. So you know, we appreciate any listeners to our show. Um, and then social media, I'm like Yo Way Shaw on Insta- uh, on Twitter and then Yo Times 3 on Instagram. If you don't yes. subscribe to Invisibilia, now that the hosts are people, women of color, you are racist is what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's racist of you. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Um, how about you, Brian? Where can our listeners find you on social media? You guys can find me on at it's Brian Park. And you guys should follow our podcast Instagram on socials at Feeling Asian Podcast. And what about you, Young Me? Where can our listeners find you on socials? Um, YM Mayor and then on TikTok at Young Me Mayor. Um, and that's it for me. <laughs> yeah. And one final shout out goes out to our audio engineer, Sarah Pack. Hit her up on Instagram Sarah. at im underscore p-a-k-t. That's at impact. Hit her up for all your audio related needs. And once again, thank you for listening. And that's it, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.